0: Um, As we move into talking about, uh, I I titled the message, The Joy and the Freedom of the Call. I hope that by the end of this, you can look at discipleship and go, I want to be a part of that, and it's going to free me up to enjoy what God's called me to do and be free to do it completely. So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in the middle of this. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, and the privilege it is to be together as your people. I pray that you would be pleased with what happens here this morning. We pray that your spirit would rain down. And, God, that you would just fill us, that you would meet each of us where we're at. Father, I pray that if hearts are really are burdened in here this morning, and if there's pain and struggle, lack of joy, lack of peace, Father, I pray that you would meet meet each person right where they need to be met. We praise you that your word is powerful, and we praise you that you love us so much. I pray that in the midst of, of being called to make disciples, that you would show us how deeply you love us in this process. In Jesus' name, amen. As we kind of get started, I was thinking um, there's been some really neat baptisms lately and um, I really enjoy baptism. I I think it's an amazing thing. And I was thinking about um, Valerie who came up a a few weeks ago and, and she just basically shared with us how God had met her in a place of brokenness, a place of despair, and how she just began to reach out to a guy that she didn't even really know, if I'm remembering this correct, and how God met her with some of his people. And she was standing up here talking about how God had rescued her, had redeemed her from the broken life that she was in. And how God had used some women to do that. And I was just thinking, what a God. Who else? What what other God in the world is redeeming people like that? Is reaching into broken situations and pulling people out and calling them child. I was just I was amazed at hearing that story. And I was just thinking, wow, it made me go back to the day of my salvation. Maybe it did for you, but for me I was definitely engaged and excited about, man, Thinking about all that God had brought me through, and how He had taken me from lack of joy and no hope to bringing me unbelievable joy, peace, and hope. And then last week, uh, uh, Theron—did I pronounce that correctly? He he gets up, and a young guy talks about how he came from a broken home, and how was it Arizona? Is that correct? You came from or Virginia? All the way across the country, comes out here, and a family takes him in. And it's and it—it wasn't just about giving him a, a, a physical home here but God wanted to draw him into his family. And as he was standing up in front of us, sharing his story about having no hope and broken and all that, to think that God reached down and grabbed him out of that and brought him into his family above all else reminded me once again of the joy of my salvation. And so this morning, before we talk about making disciples, I think it's so important that we start with this idea. Have we forgotten the joy of our own salvation? Because it's, this life is a hustle and a bustle, and it's, it's, it's one thing after the next. But the thing that must drive us as, as followers of Christ is the joy that's before us, because now that we know Christ, our life has meaning, purpose, and will be with God forever. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Maybe it's been a while since you've really experienced the joy of your salvation. I pray today that you would just get on this journey with us, uh, this morning about what it is to enjoy our salvation and that propel us into the mission of God, which is to make disciples of all nations. So before we do that, I want to do a few foundational verses before we get move forward. John seventeen three says this. This is eternal life, that you know God and his son Jesus whom he sent. And that verse, when I, well, the first time I ever read that verse and it really grabbed me, I was amazed that growing up, I mean, the church I was a part of, I, mainly when I heard of eternal life, I just heard, well, we're going to go to heaven, and that's just where we'll be, and, you know, that, that's eternal life. But to think that eternal life is so much more than just going to heaven. Eternal life, the beauty of eternal life is as you get to know and experience relationship with the God of all creation, the one who now calls you son, who now calls you daughter. And so as we move forward, I, I hope that the framework of making disciples is under this, that we have the privilege each day to know God. And by knowing him, what, what happens is, is we get on our heart what's on God's heart. And we get to experience his love and his peace. And in my life, I can just say the more I experience his love, his peace, his joy, the more that I want to pass that on to others. So people like Valerie and Theron can know Christ. And then they can be a part of the mission of God. The next, the next verse is in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And I'll flip there really fast because I, I don't want to butcher um, quoting this. But Hebrews 12, more focus on on two. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And so, you know, he's talking about all the men of faith um, in the Old Testament. And then he, uh, he says this. Let's lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I love this part. Looking to Jesus. So as we think about discipleship, I think it's important that everything is focused on Jesus. He's the one that does it all. And so it starts it off, I love how it says, it says, looking to Jesus as our example and as the way. He says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think as we move forward, we need to really, with the understanding, as we make disciples, it has to be with the the focus on Jesus and understanding that he was the example to us. He went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. And for us, I think, as we move forward in this world to fulfill the mission of God, of making disciples, we need to look at it as a joyful thing. And so the next one I want to look at is Galatians 5.1, and this is what it says. It was for freedom's sake that Christ set us free. When you talk about discipleship in most groups, everybody, they, I mean, it's like, no, I can't add anything else to my schedule. No, there's no way I could give my life to somebody. And we're going to look at some of the different struggles with discipleship. But we need to go into discipleship, the, the idea of making disciples with this idea. God did not save you to bind you up and, 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 and imprison you. He saved you that you would be free. And so as we move into this, understand that a lot of the, my belief is a lot of the ways that we're trying to convert people and change people today becomes very... Um, becomes very challenging because it takes so much time and it becomes very heavy it becomes burdensome I don't believe that was his design at all that making disciples would become a burden but I think it was to be a joy um, and the last one is in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 where Jesus said come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened and and I will give you rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and so as we think about discipleship Um, I really want us to think that he came to make our burden light, not to make it heavy. And so um, I want you to think about this, and this will kind of framework for where we're headed. Um, This is just something to think on. If each of you, say you led 1,000 people to Christ today, every day for the rest of your life you led 1,000 people to Christ, it would take 15,000 years for the whole world if the population was frozen at the current population— the whole world to know Jesus is that that encouraging or discouraging probably discouraging a thousand a day I mean I mean you'd be like I'll give Billy Graham a run for his money right I mean a thousand a day I mean you I mean honestly you would think that's pretty impressive but it would take 15,000 years to do it but the beautiful thing about God is and and the and the and the the way that Jesus did it is it, it wasn't intended uh for you to do it alone—that's the beauty of the body. So check this stat out: if you disciple one person per year, can anybody handle anybody not handle one person? I think we can all handle one. If you can do—if you can disciple one person a year, and when that year is done, you take somebody else under your wing, and the person that you had been discipling that last year <laughs> takes somebody under their wing and begins to pour into them. Guess how many years it takes? If that's the function of everybody's life. How many years it takes for the world, even at a growing population, for the whole world to know Jesus and be discipled in him? It's crazy, but it's just under 37 years. Just under 37 years. And the whole world hasn't just heard about Jesus which, honestly, a lot of our stuff today is more evangelism and not discipleship. We, we, we love to see people say, I gave my life to Christ, but there's not a lot of follow-up a lot of times. This is 37 years, and the whole world has been discipled in what it is to follow Jesus. And see, honestly, for a long time in my life, I felt the burden of this discipleship thing. I looked around the world, and I go, oh, man, especially living here, since I've been here for three years. Oh, man, so many people don't know Jesus. I mean, where do you even start? You start with one or two. And you give your life to them with the goal that at the end of, the, end of a year, end of two years, not everybody's, on, this is just figure, not everybody's going to be ready after a year necessarily, but in a few years, you have now equipped somebody to go and do the same thing you did in their life. I think it frees us up. When you, think, when you read that he didn't want to make your burden heavy, I mean, I think a lot of you can probably relate that you look at the mission of God and you look at the fact that the gospel needs to go forth, and sometimes it's discouraging. At least I'm there. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in schools and in communities every day of the week. And it gets discouraging sometimes. But the fact that if we'll all get on mission, there's hope. And so before, real quick, and then we're going to look at Acts 1, 1 through 11. But I want to do a little bit of prefacing. Here's the, some struggles with discipleship. First one is, you're too busy. So how many of you this week were sitting around at home going, man, I, I had way too much time with my family this week? <laughs> Anybody was thinking that? If you were, please don't raise your hand because your spouse will probably hit you. Uh, but I doubt any of you were thinking that, thinking, man I, just, man, I just had way too much time this week with my family. Or, man, I had way too much time to, 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 to do something that I enjoy or, or, or way too much time to spend time with God myself. I doubt anybody had that feeling this week. But this is what I want to share with you about this form of discipleship. The beauty is, is that it doesn't really take that much from your life. Because it's life on life as you go making disciples. It's not, okay, I've got to rearrange my whole life. But no, because we talked about in the confession idea that we want to free ourselves up. We want to be real. We want to let people know. That we don't have to act like we've got it all together because the truth is we all know that none of us do. But what do you do? You begin to invite people in your home. And, and we'll talk more about what that looks like in the, at the end of the message. But we, a lot of us think we're too busy. A lot of times we... That we think that's for somebody else so where does discipleship usually whose shoulders does it usually get put on the pastor right or missionaries that's their job you know hey we come we hang out but hey the dirty work the hard stuff we'll leave that to the people that we pay it's not the way that God intended it for the great commission was given to all people the next one is I don't know how maybe you've been there And we'll be looking at how to do that as we move forward. Next one is, how could God use me of all people? Ever been there? The next one is, I'll do that one day when life slows down. And I'm sure we could ask some people who've lived life a little longer than I have, does it ever slow down? And they go, no. (laughs) So you never do it because you put it off the next day. Next one is, I am not gifted in discipleship. The truth is, discipleship is not a gift. It's a question of obedience. Making disciples is a call of God. And the question is, will you be obedient or disobedient to that? It's not a gift. To me, it's freeing. It's not like, you know, are some people maybe more gifted? I mean, or, or they, they, they may be a little better, maybe. But it's something that we can all do. When the Spirit of God comes on us, he equips us all. And the last one. Yes, and this is something that I I thought for a long time. It is all give and no receive. All I do is give. It's going to wear me out. I don't have enough time as it is. But actually, you receive more than you ever give in a discipleship relationship, no matter how difficult the situation is. You always gain more than you ever give. And so with those things in mind, I want to start off saying, I know everybody's busy. I know this is challenging. And I know sometimes there's a lot of questions that come with this. But this is my heart. That we would quit trying to one person conquer the whole world. But we would come together as a body and we would say, I want to be committed to the mission of God. And I can take a few people or one person under my wing and I can give them what I know. Because a lot of times people go, I don't know enough. Well, the truth is you don't have to be one step ahead of somebody to lead them somewhere. And at the same time, as we're going to see today, the spirit of God is what empowers you. Because none of us in and of ourselves could ever disciple anybody appropriately. Mm. And so let's look at Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. And I, I, I look at this kind of as Jesus' swan song. This is his going out party in Acts chapter 1. And this is what he does. And so let's look at Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. We'll read that, and we'll just dive into this text. But we're going we're gonna to uh, look at, I think, five key things. If I get this paper to open up. Here we go. Well, yeah, we're going to look at five key things. The first one is Jesus' focus. The second one is Jesus' promise. The third one is Jesus' call. The fourth one is Jesus' hope. And last, fifth, we'll look at Jesus' way. And so let's look at this. And my prayer is that we would leave with the hope that uh, we can all be a part of what God's called us to do. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach So when they had come together, they asked him, "'Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?' He said to them, "'It is not for you to know times or seasons "'that the Father is fixed by his own authority, "'but you will receive power "'when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, "'and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem "'and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth.' And when, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. All right, let's look at the first part, verse one through three. Let's look at Jesus' focus. Let's read this one more time. It says, In the first book, of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And this is key. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus has, has died. He's rose again. And what does he do? Who does he come back to hang out with? The 11. He came back to hang out with the men that he had poured his life into for three years. He didn't come back to the whole, all the crowds. He came back to them. And what does it say that he did? I think it's key. First, he, he, uh, he, he proved himself alive to them by, in many ways. What do you think he's doing? Well, I, I really think what he's doing here is he's saying... They were disheartened because you think about it. They had followed him. They had left everything. If you go back to the beginning of, of the Gospels, you see how they had left everything, their, their families, their jobs, everything to go after following him. And, and honestly, when Jesus, most of his life and ministry was, a, was, for lack of better words, like, he was a rock star. Everybody was following him. Everybody was going after him. I mean, they, there was times he had to get in boats because the people were coming so fast on him and getting so close. It says that they were fearful that he would be crushed. So they they, they had been a part of this, and all of a sudden, he's like, I'm going to die. And they're like, what? No way. Remember Peter's like, rebukes Jesus? No way. You know, we'll fight for you. You're not going to die. It's amazing. And then, and their struggle the whole time, and we're going to see that struggle continues, they thought that he was coming to restore the actual kingdom of Israel on earth. That's what they wanted. They thought a physical reign was coming on earth. And now he's dead. And It's like, oh, man, we wasted the last three years of our life. Disheartened. But what does he do? He meets them where they're at. And he says, here, I'm alive. And he gives them many proofs. Next, you see that he, uh, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. So think about this. He's dead. His time on earth is about done. He comes back for these 40 days, and what does he do mainly? He teaches them concerning the kingdom of God. Why did he do that? He did that because he knew the best means for the world to to know him was to invest in these 11 men who were about to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And not only that, but you've got to think, he's pouring into guys that just saw him crucified for what he was preaching. And now he's saying, hey, hey, boys, you're going out there to do the same thing. What? I mean, how many of you would be jumping on that bus? I mean, a lot of times, I think the disciples get a rough rap. I'm like, how many of you would be jumping up and going, okay, yeah, we'll take it out there. You just died, but we'd love to die. I mean, It's challenging. But what does he do? I love this about God. I think it shows a great picture of of, of our father is that Jesus comes and he wraps his arms around him and says, I'm alive. I've defeated sin. I've defeated death. And now I'm going to invest in you and pour into you that you can take the same message, the same mission that I had all over the world. He was going to call them to do bigger and greater things than even he did. So what does he do? He comes back and he invests in the eleven. I think it's important that we see that this was Jesus' model. It's easy to get caught up when, you know, Jesus fed the four thousand or the five thousand and think, man, he really loved all those people, or, or, or I think we make the object a lot of times in the gospel the people that he did good deeds to. But I really believe what was happening more than anything else is that Jesus was modeling to the, at the time, the twelve that he had chosen, he was modeling to them what their life was going to be about until the end. He was modeling. So think about the woman at the well, right? What is he teaching his disciples there? He meets her at the well, the, the disciples are in town getting something to eat, they come back and Jesus is hanging out with a woman in public. Well, first, you don't do that. When you approach a woman in public in those days, most of the time, it, it, was, for, it, was, for, it was for sex, you don't do that. And then second, she was a Samaritan. Well, Jews hated Samaritans. Past that, I think she's if I'm getting this right, I think this was she was living with the fifth man she'd been with. She'd already been had four husbands before that, somewhere around that number. And I'm going, What in the world? He's hanging out with the woman who's hanging out with a different dude every year. It's a Samaritan. What's going on here? I believe what he was teaching more than, he obviously wanted her to have hope. He obviously wanted to go and hang out with them for the next little while, for the whole the whole town would, would hear him preach. But I think what he was teaching his 12 was this, there's nobody outside of my love. And if we're going to, and, and if you're going to be about my business, you're going to go to anybody, anywhere, at any time. Because I'm interested in saving the entire world. Not just the Jews, and not just men, and not just the, Pharisees are the good people. But I'm going after the broken. I'm going after women. I'm going after Samaritans. It doesn't matter. No one is outside of my love. I think that's what he was teaching them. So think about as they began their mission what would happen. They're like, wow, we can love everybody because we saw the one who discipled us or who, who, who led us. He did the very same thing. In discipleship, that's part of the focus. I think God's more interested in us pouring into a few and letting them see our life than he is about us going out and trying to reach the crowds. I've been a part of a lot of of camp atmospheres. I'm I'm leaving as soon as I get done here and driving to Idaho to be a part of a camp where there'll be over 500 people there. But the real work gets done. This is what I've learned in being in ministry for the last eight, nine years of my life is the real work gets done on that one-on-one, that one-on-two, that that very small intimacy. Because what do you do? You can actually teach them how to walk. And that's the beauty of discipleship. That was Jesus' focus. And you know what's cool? Guess who followed that up very identically? It was Paul. Remember? Paul poured into Timothy, right? And he had a lot of other guys. You notice in the beginning of his letters, in the end of his letters, he's usually talking about his key guys. He did the same thing. And when Paul's getting ready to die, who did he write a letter to? Timothy. Second Timothy was the very last letter he wrote. Most believe within a couple of weeks of his death, what was he doing? He's saying I'm on my way out. And he basically, he, he just, he's calling Timothy to continue what, what he was doing. You see that same model that, and you see what the picture is, is that God is interested in using men and women to advance his cause, not programs and, and different things like that. He's interested in you. He bought you with a price. He called you his own. And now he's saying, enjoy me. But as you enjoy me, go and tell others what it's like to enjoy me. That's the beauty of the focus of Jesus. The next part, we'll look at verse 4 and 5, Jesus' promise. This is, to me, one of the most crucial elements of the whole process. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The key of this whole thing is, is it's not something that he says, all right, go out there and make disciples, good luck, ready break. He says what? I'm going to go with you. I'm going to give you my presence. The same spirit that came upon Jesus when he was baptized by John is the same spirit that, you're gonna, that, that very soon you're going to see the believers receive. And that's how he says you can go into all the world and make disciples. Because he didn't say you're going alone. He says, I'm going with you. And I'm going to do it through you. If you need a good example, just flip a few pages over to the right. In Acts, when Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin, they're being accused, just like Jesus was, for what they were doing. And what happens? These are untrained men. They're like, and all of a sudden they start saying all this stuff. And it's like, what in the world? But see, they had remembered that Jesus had promised them, don't worry about what to say. Because why? He said, My spirit, the spirit of God will speak through you. And so as we go out and make disciples, Jesus promises this lo, I will be with you even to the end of the ages. And how will he do that? By his very presence living inside of us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so as you think about, man, how in the world can I do this? I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough time. Nobody's going to listen to me. What do I have to offer? The beautiful thing about discipleship is you're not the hero, but Christ in you is. Jesus could save the whole world without you, but he chose you to be the means to which he was going to advance his word all over the world. And you think, well, how in the world could I impact all nations? Because the call of God to all of us is all nations. How could I do that? Because I think God's called me to live in Bellingham. How am I going to reach... Well, the thing is, what happens is when you begin to invest your life in people, they begin to move. Right? I seriously doubt the guys in college that gave their life to me and really invested in me thought I'd be living in Bellingham, Washington. I definitely didn't think I'd be living here. But that's what happens. I never even heard of the place. But they invested their life in me. And what happens? God sends me all the way across the country. And then he sends me here. He sends me there. The same is true of the people that you pour into You don't have to do everything. He just wants you to begin to invest in people's lives and let him take people's lives and move them all around. That's the beauty of his promise. He's going with you. He's going to do the work. The burden's on him, not on you. And I think that was one of my biggest struggles for a long time. I thought that it was my job to change people, and, and it was my job to draw people to himself. The beautiful thing is, is when God freed me up, is when he said, I'm the, I'm the author of salvation. I'm the refiner. I'm the potter. You're the clay. And I'm going to do the work. I just need you to be obedient and go and do it. That's what he's called us to do. And I love his promise because it gives you hope. Every day you can wake up with hope, knowing that his presence is with you and that he promised that that would be true. The next part is Jesus' call verse 6 through 8. So what is this call that he gave us? So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of De Israel? I mean, honestly, you read that and you're like, are they still asking the same question? But then I look at my life and I'm going, yeah, I'm, I'm, that, I'm that same guy. You know, God keeps telling me things, keeps doing things, and I keep, because they're going right back to, okay, well, you're back. I mean, now you're going to set up your reign again, you know what I mean? We're, we're going to take over, you know? I mean, he had to be thinking in his mind. He's so gracious and so patient because, I mean, if it was one of us, we'd probably just want to backhand him and say, do you not get it? But he asked that, and he goes, he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I love this. What what, What is Jesus telling them? Quit trying to do my job and do what I've called you to do. It's not your business when I'm coming back, times and seasons. That's the Father's business. But your business is this, to go and be my witnesses in all the world. And Do you ever find yourself in that place where you find yourself trying to figure out God more than you are just being faithful to serving? I do a lot of times. I hear so much talk, well, man, he's got to be coming really quick. I mean, all these things. And I go, maybe, but they've been saying that for a long time. Why don't we just be busy with the things he left us to do and then let him take care of that? Our hope is that he's going to come back. When that is, it's not our business. We just are supposed to be faithful. Be faithful. I think it's kind of, we have the same problem with each other. Most people are more busy in everybody else's life than dealing with their own. It kind of transfers if you look at it. We do the same thing with God, and then we do it with people. Most people tend to spend more time worrying about everybody else than they do their own stuff when their lives are usually falling apart. So what is he saying? Let me handle it. I'm good. I created all this. I've got it worked out. You just go and be my witnesses and tell them what's happened. Proclaim to them the gospel, the beauty of what it is that now they can be redeemed because of Jesus. So that was... The call. We would go to all nations. A lot of times people read the Great Commission and they think, all right, we've got to go sell everything and we've got to get out of here. And as I shared before, this is not a call to everybody being a world missionary uh, as far as leaving where you're at. This is the call to make disciples and let God let the chips fall with me as you go. So you go, where in the world would I disciple somebody? Well, most of you have jobs. I believe that God orchestrates that. I think he has you there for a purpose. And it's not just to have an income so that you can provide for your family. I think it's bigger than that. Or you go, man, or, or your kids maybe are in sports. Well, now you have a whole new arena. Or you're in, a, you're in a body. You know, there's people here that could probably use somebody to wrap their arm around them and I'll walk with them. And so his call is not necessarily for, okay, let's pick everything up, let's get flights, let's sell everything. No, that's why the beauty of his call is everybody can do it. Everybody can do it that knows him. The next part is Jesus' hope, and I love this, 9 through 11. It says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And they're probably going, oh, here we go again. And he already left us once. He's leaving us again. And that's what they're thinking. Oh, wow. Thanks for hanging out with us for 40 days and ditching us again. I know that's what they were probably feeling. But then it says this. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I mean, what kind of question is that? He just lifted up, that's why we're looking up there. But then he says this the the two men said, This Jesus who was taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what is the hope? But yes, he's left us with the mission right now. And the Great Commission still stands and it's still the call of God in our lives. But the beautiful thing is, is we, like, 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 like these men, are, gonna go, are, are waiting for his return. And that's the hope. That one day we will be with him forever. And as Nate so eloquently shares with us when we take the Lord's Supper, is that we'll be able to feast with him forever. And you go, well, why in the world would I want to buy into this? i got enough going on, nothing I can't take anymore on. This is why we buy into it, because we remember the day of our salvation. And I'm telling you, if you've experienced Christ, there's nothing you want to do more than go and tell other people about it. You want to be like that Samaritan woman at the well that goes, to, goes and tells the whole village, and they want to come out and hear from this Jesus. So it starts there. And So maybe this morning you go, maybe that's where I need to start. I need to rekindle this fire. Maybe you had it at a younger age. And I think that's one of the biggest lies Satan tells us. You know, Excitement about Jesus is for the young folks. It's not true. The people I look up to most in my life are people that I have in my life that are in their 60s and 70s that are more faithful to Jesus today than they were when they were my age. That they're more excited about him then, at that stage of life than they were when they were my age. That's who I look up to. Because I don't believe Jesus is a phase or a fad in our life. I think he's everything. And I think the beauty we have is we get to experience him for all of our days on this earth and one day with him for all of eternity. Um, so maybe you need to start there. Or maybe um, you need to let God, maybe somebody needs to pour into your life first. Not everybody's ready to just, maybe, maybe we need somebody to pour in to you. And so I would encourage you, if you don't have anybody investing in your life, get it. And they go, well, that means I have to go ask somebody? Yeah. You know, who do you ask? Well, somebody you see Jesus in. You know, that's who I ask in my life. I see Christ in them. I see them going after him. Well, that's who I want to hang out with. And so I think maybe that's where you are. Or maybe you've just said this call isn't for you. It's for other people to do. I encourage you. There's no greater reward in all the world than to get involved in his mission. And there's no greater need in the church today than people who will disciple others. There's no greater need. Because what we have a lot in the churches right now is we have a lot of immaturity in the faith. And so we need people to invest in other people. And so I encourage you this morning, how do you do this? You go, who, who is it? You start praying. I imagine if you started asking God. There's a, the, beauty, the beautiful thing about this whole call is God's more interested in people knowing him than you are them knowing him. He wants, to, he wants them to know him. So you start praying. God, who is it? Who is right here? You know, you don't have to go for a far reach. You don't have to. Who's right here that I could reach out to? And begin to pray. And God will reveal it. He wants you doing his mission more than you ever dreamed to want to do it. So be comforted by that. But who is that? And then what does it look like? Well, sometimes discipleship's equated to, okay, we'll meet for an hour a week, and I'll teach you everything I know about Romans, and you'll be ready to go. That's not discipleship because Jesus is our model. What did he do? He lived life with them. He broke bread with them. He modeled it. They served together, right? That's the model of discipleship. And so you go, well, yeah, could you do that? Yeah. I mean, it's like if you're discipling somebody, hey, what does that look like? Okay, well, we're going to a game today. You want to go with us? Sure. They're hanging out with your family. I it, was like, hey, well, I'm going, I'm going to the mall. We're going to buy some clothes today. You want to go? Sure. To those of you with young kids, I mean, this is kind of a, to me, it's a no-brainer. If you go after some younger kids, they're babysitters. I mean, honestly. But they become a part of your life. They do. Because, and then what do you get to show them? You know what? People need to see you struggle. You know, for somebody like me who's about to get married, I mean, I need to see the husband and the wife struggle and disagree because when we're all together what do you see a lot of times oh everything's perfect well that's a lie that's what the going back to the confession is so important you know if the house is dirty who cares it is most of the time so is it i mean is it is it is it fair to get the house all clean because somebody's coming over but you don't do that for your own family doesn't matter be you that's the beauty of discipleship you don't have to do more you just let them be involved in your life you got a lunch break hey you want me for lunch and you begin to live life so they can see so it's it is pouring the word into them but it's also letting them get in the middle of your life you know if you've got young kids you go well man it has to be earlier because i gotta put put my kids to bed Whoa, can they not be a part of you reading the bedtime stories to your kid or reading the word to your kid or praying with your family and getting to see what that looks like you see what i'm saying it's life on life. It's living it together. And it's saying, you know what, I'm going to put my arm around you and go. And, I, and I'll leave you with this. The reason I'm so passionate about this is because I've traveled a lot around the country over the last few years of my life and done a lot of inner city stuff. And the most disheartening thing to me is this, that I've gone into a lot of these places, and I've seen God drag, grab people out of that life, the gang and the drug life. But the most disheartening thing is when you can't find a man who will pour into that, that guy now. nobody wants to do it it's too hard takes too much time it's hard and so I just want to encourage us this morning I know we all have a lot going on and I know there's plenty of things to be involved in but I would argue that the most important thing we can be a part of is the very thing that he told us to go and do and it's to make disciples of all nations we can get busy with a lot of things that he never intended for us to be busy with but at the end of the day when 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 your life is over, what do you want people to say about you? What do you want to be the legacy that you left? I think it's that you laid it all down. You can say, like Paul said, I've run the race, and I will receive the crown of righteousness that lays before me. So I encourage you this morning, wherever you're at, God wants to meet you there. But my, my hope is that we would leave as a people and as a body that says, if there's one thing we're going to be about, it's going to be making sure the people in our body are discipled and that we go out and make disciples. The beautiful thing is it's easier than all the other stuff that a lot of people are busy in their lives with to try to impact lives. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, Father, we praise you and thank you. You're amazing. And uh, we thank you for your word. And uh, We praise you that you considered us worthy to uh, or, or you would reach down and, and, and want to make us your children. And I pray that we would, that would excite us, God. I pray that we would be so excited about the fact that we can know you and that we can be a part of drawing others to your name. And so, God, I pray that you would meet each of us where we're at. I don't know what that looks like for everybody in here, but I pray that we wouldn't leave going, oh, that's another good idea. But I pray that that idea, that it would take 15,000 years to reach the whole world, if we, if we saved a thousand people a day ourselves, or it would take 37 years for us to reach the world for Christ if we all just did a little. So God, that's the beauty of your call. It's not burdensome. It's light because you bear the load. So God, may we be people who are involved in your mission. In Jesus' name, amen.